for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, you are so good to us. You are so awesome, Lord, and we put our hope, we put our trust in you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that once again you would speak to our hearts, that you would open up the Word of God to us. Thank you for these wonderful people that we can come together and worship you in spirit and in truth and open our hearts again to your Word. In Jesus' name, everyone said. I don't know if Zach mentioned this, but uh, for every guy 18 and over, you don't have to be a dad, you have a gift. Did you say that, Zach? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, 18 or over, we have a gift for you. And we want to say thanks for being here again. Thanks for um, loving God and being with us today. Today we conclude our series on this. We've been on this journey called The End of Me. And so today we are concluding this, uh, this series. When you come to the end of yourself, you find true life and the life you were meant to to live. Before I get into that, I do want to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads. God bless you. Um, you are uniquely created, and I talked about this when we did Mother's Day, but as a father, you are uniquely created in the image of God, being an earthly dad that reveals something, again, these, this institution, this creation of God when he created moms, when he created dads, when he set up the first marriage. We're going to talk about marriage again this morning, but when he set that up, it was more than just two people coming together, a husband and wife, and, and having children. Uh, yes, it was something beautiful and, and the relationship that he gave us, but it was something greater that God was pointing to the reality of who he was. And Dad, you have a unique calling and unique way that you reveal God to the world by being a dad. We, we, we sang about it this morning, and Hina talked about it this morning. Um, Zach prayed it, Jim prayed it, that God is a Father. That's what Jesus called him, right? When Jesus was teaching us to pray, he said, our Father. When Jesus is referring to God, he's referring to him as my, my Father in heaven. And so when we, as dads, we have this very weighty responsibility as a dad that we get to reveal the father part of God. And that when the world sees a dad, it, it, the hopes are that it reminds them that there is a father in heaven, a perfect God, a perfect father. And Dina said this before, that there may be some here that you didn't have a very good experience with your dad. But know this, that God is a perfect Father. And He wants to reveal and He wants to heal your heart today. And Dad, He wants to give you a, somewhat even a, a new, new mercy where we have failed. And Zach prayed it out earlier. We have failed. We make mistakes. We fall short. But we have an opportunity today to receive His mercies. And Dad, God, God created you in a unique way. Um, again, um, in the beginning, God says that He created man. The male and female, He created them. There's a unique purpose of how God has made each one of us. Male to the glory of God. Female to the glory of God. That we're unique. And each of us, whether you're male or female, we created the image of God to reveal something about the nature and the character of God. And just understanding that. That's how God said that male and female, He created them. And so there is a specific, unique calling for each of us in who God has created us to be. 
So we're going to get into this morning. Again, the key verse of this, this whole series has been from Luke 9, 23 through 24. We've been looking at the Gospels. We've been looking at Paul's letters and these paradoxes of the kingdom of God, these things that might sound a little bizarre or absurd, but when you further dig deep and you see that Jesus is revealing his heart to us, and Jesus said to them, all whoever wants to be my disciple or my follower, they must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, follow me. That means that's what it means to be a Christian, that you are denying yourself, you're taking up the cross, and you're letting him lead. And then he says this paradoxical statement in verse 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it or find it. In other words, the key to finding the life you were meant to live is coming to the end of yourself. And that's what Jesus is calling us to so take up the cross daily. Not his cross, your cross, to say no to yourself. And so today's sermon, we're continuing where we left off last week, marriage and the end of me. Just sounds funny, doesn't it? Marriage and the end of me. Um, this is, again, for married people, people who want to be married or if you know someone married. Um, it's a great uh, message as you are uh, allowing God to speak again to uh, the reality of marriage. God set up marriage not just a human gift that would end in a human way. It was something to reveal something greater about Him, His kingdom. God does everything with intentionality. And marriage was one of those things. And coming to the end of yourself is the key to having a great marriage. You know, we talked last week, this is up a little bit. Godly marriage versus a cultural, worldly marriage. Again, it's a paradox. Culture tells us that marriage is 50-50. It's contact-based. It's based on lots of feelings and emotions. It's more me-centered, how my needs are being met by my spouse or not being met. The idea of a person complete you completely, as romantic as that sounds, it's absurd. Only God can complete us. The focus is my happiness and how my spouse can provide that to me. And again, this kind of marital love is more on the surface. It's feelings-driven, emotionally based. That's why you can have people say, I don't feel anything for you anymore. I've fallen out of love with you. And that is a more of a cultural idea of love. Godly marriage is defined completely different. It is paradoxical. The word again, agape, agape love, is types of love mentioned in the Bible. And I said this last week, we, we just kind of tend to throw out the word love. And we use it in lots of different ways. But the Bible, what I love about the Bible, is, as you explore, you will see that God defines love in many different ways. Um, there are meaning behind the word when you see love in the Bible. And sometimes if you go and dig in the original languages, you will find what the author was trying to say. The predominant usage in the New Testament, the predominant usage in the New Testament, that love is patient, love is kind, you know, first, 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 it is agape love, it's self-sacrificial love. It's me dying to myself. It is me laying my life down. It's not a feeling uh, a love based on feelings or emotion. Now, obviously, we are emotional beings. We can't just turn emotions off. We are emotional. God, we, God is emotionally created to create us in His image, and that's why we, we understand joy and laughter and sadness and all the emotions because we're created in the image of God. But that kind of love, that, that, that must be foundational for agape, self-sacrificial love. That's why you see in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives. That's Christ of the truth and gave himself a husband's agape your wives. Not 
if you feel like it or not. It's self-sacrificial love. And so God's definition of love, counterculture, is a 100% covenant. Not a contract covenant. It's not based on emotions and feelings. They're there, but they're not a foundation. It's self-sacrificial. It's the end of me. It's laying my life down. It's Christ-centered and not me-centered. And again, marriage was God's idea. We go back to the original blueprint, Genesis 2.24. For the next slide, and you're going to see God's blueprint for marriage. Genesis 2.24. Man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This idea that God designed it that way. Jesus mentions this passage in Matthew. Paul mentions it in Ephesians 5, that this was the original plan. Jesus endorsed it. Paul in the New Testament said, yes, that's what it is, that a man will leave his father and mother be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But as I said earlier, that marriage was a gift from God, yes, to us as human beings. But Paul says in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, that this is not just about you and me. This is not just about our earthly marriage. This is a profound mystery, talking about marriage, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So it reveals something greater about who God is. Again, God does everything intentionally. There's in purpose and intentionality. I mean, he set it up at the very beginning. He was, he could, he could foresee what was coming, and so he said these two people will represent Christ in the church. And so that's where, where, again, we have two broken people, and we get to reveal Christ in the church because we get to forgive a lot and show people that Jesus is a forgiver of sin. We get to repent a lot. We get to make allowance for each other's faults and all that goes with marriage. And so we see his blueprint. So with, that, with this understanding, again, we, of what, how God designed it, we're going to look at the five keys for an awesome marriage. Last week, we looked at these two. Number one, absolute first priority, Jesus first. Jesus in the middle of your marriage. Jesus at the foundation. He is the one that enables you and empowers you to be able to love like He commands us to love. The, self, the, the self-sacrificial love, we don't have that capacity in and of ourselves. We have to have Jesus first individually and then in our marriages to be able to love as He, and, and this is praying together and reading the words together and, and, and going to church together and, 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 and worshiping together. And then number two is fight righteously. There's a right way and a wrong way to fight. If you want to listen to that, that, that will be online. Um, I think maybe this week and you can get a hold of that or you can sign up for um, a, a CD if you like. Um, you can hear those first two that I talked about last week. Alright, number three. Let's go right into today. Have fun. Permission to have fun, right? Look at what Proverbs says. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. But here, this is very key because this is going to be Part two, always be clothed in white. What does the, the author talk about? There is a purity. There's a right way to do it. Right? Yes, drink your wine with a joyful heart, but you know, there's a, maintain your purity when you do that. Always anoint your head with oil. What is he saying? That was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit in the middle of it. Be clothed in white, purity, and be filled with the, with the Spirit. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life. Now, Solomon was having some issues too, right? 
He had some wisdom, but he was going through it. Solomon, basically, he tried everything under the sun. He tried to fulfill his life with everything. That's why his life and, uh, serves as a reminder to us. Ecclesiastes is a great, it's like his journal. He tried everything to make him happy, and ultimately he came to some conclusions of, 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 of wisdom that, uh, that, that, that the Lord ended up leaning into his life. But he tried everything. He tried money. He tried power. He tried having it all. He tried it. And he stands, stands as a reminder that nothing can fulfill us yet by himself. Because that's why you call this meaningless life. Everything's meaningless, he would say. He says, enjoy life with your wife and you love all the things you need life that God has given you under the sun. We are, it's okay to have fun together. Marriage isn't a business partnership. Maybe your marriage maybe has become that. It isn't become two ships that are continually passing each other in the sea as you go in and out and or tag team childcare. Marriage should be enjoyed. And so this is going to get real practical, but it's very spiritual. What fun things do you enjoy doing together? Get back to doing those things. If marriages aren't intentionally purposely cultivated, they will become mundane and they will get stuck in a rut. And so be intentional about planning time together, dating each other, mutual fun things that you do together. And let me, let me stop here. It doesn't have to be expensive. Creative ways to spend time together does not have to be expensive. If you want to do a trip or something that costs money, save money, don't do debt, because then you'll go on the trip and you'll be back and you'll be in debt and it'll cost tension, you'll be in fight. And it's just no good. It's just a But make time to talk to each other. Really meaningful talk. Not just conflict. We talked about conflict last week. But, but hearing each other's heart, dream together. Again, there are different times and seasons, and we happen to be in one right now. If you were wandering around the back, you saw me with my two boys in the back. Now my wife is back there. And we are in this time and season now. We have little ones again, and it's a lot more difficult to do. And so when we put the kids in the back, that's our time to sit and talk and have time together and just chat. We can't, it, it's, a, it's a little more challenging now. We have logistical challenges, but. And so there's times and seasons, but as the Bible says, this too shall pass to get through it. But be creative, be intentional. Ways to enjoy one another is quality, intention from talking, fun outings, sexual intimacy is a part of that. But we must be purposeful about spending time with each other. Your marriage is higher priority than your children. It's Jesus first, your spouse, and then your children. A lot of times we get those out of the way, but we must maintain time together and get back to doing those fun things that you enjoy doing together and, uh, and, 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 and be purposeful about that. Number four, maintain your purity. Just like the author of Proverbs, you know, um, Solomon said, be dressed, be robed in white. There's a level of purity that God has called us to. Listen to what Paul says, First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So what does Paul say? I want you to please God. I want you to live to please God. As in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Do you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus? 
It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that word sanctified mean for the next slide? picking up on the next slide. You should be sanctified. It's a different set apart or counterculture. That's what Paul's saying. It's sanctified. The process of sanctification is a process. And that word when you see the sanctified is it's my life, I want to become more and more like Jesus. I want to grow and become more and more like Jesus. And, but it's counterculture. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. In other words, you should not be just driven by sexual desire or sexual urges. And just that, we're, that, 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 that is somehow what, what steers the ship. Yes, are we created as sexual beings? Sure we are. But what Paul is saying, we should, we should put that control under the Lord. That, you know, the, 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 the Lordship should be in every area. He's going to let you be Lord over every area, not just be driven by feelings, emotions, or urges. Holy and honorable of honoring God. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Again, you see, this is counterculture. Culture says that you, know, you just obey your urges, and that's what you do. And that, you know, if you're feeling a certain thing, then that's what you do. And he says, no, that, that's not what you should do. Those people don't know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. And so there's an idea of taking advantage of people in an impure way, and God frowns upon them. Verse 7, so the next one. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So he's calling us to holiness. I love what Christopher Yuan some of you guys remember his story. Yuan came out of the, the gay lifestyle, and, and he said, you know, this is not, the goal is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. It's to please God, it's to love God, and I'm not, I shouldn't be defined by my sexuality, I should be defined by, by being holy and being God's child. That's my, that's who I am. For God did not cause me to be to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects his instructions is not rejected human. But God, so Paul is saying, this is not, we're not just throwing this out here as a human instruction. God is offering this. He's not there to take away your joy. He's not there to, to kill your fun. He's saying, I have good for you. I have best for you if you do it my way. So the very God who gives you is Holy Spirit. So our culture is incredibly sexually driven, if you haven't noticed. Right? I'm going to keep this kind of PG so the kids don't have too many weird questions when you get home. Maybe they need to, though. It's everywhere. You know, the culture is everywhere. Sexuality is everywhere. We must be on guard. We must be vigilant in maintaining our purity. God has called us again to holiness. God wants us to keep our individual lives pure and our marriages pure. And he does it for our best. He always does it for our best. And so there's two types of impurity. There is the outward and there's the inward, right? Outward are the things we do. 
They can be seen. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's what we're looking at, what we're acting on, what we're doing that is important. Inward is actually where it all begins. Inward is, inward is where it begins because the outward is just a manifestation of the breakdown of something that's going on inside your heart. And it usually, it will almost always begin with my relationship with Jesus. If there's a breakdown in my relationship with Jesus, if He is not Lord of all, and I'm struggling in my walk with Him, and I'm struggling in my relationship with Christ, that's where that initial breakdown begins. Because a lot of times it's easy just to see an outward sense of impurity, but it began way back here in the breakdown of my relationship with Christ. If I'm not, if Jesus isn't first in my individual life, I will be drawn to other things that will that I, that I look for contentment. If my spouse isn't giving me the contentment that I think I deserve, then we wander. That's why Jesus has to be first. And so, how do we how do we maintain purity? How do we maintain purity in our lives and in, in our marriages? We have to get the inner part worked out first. And this is a call to. To stay right, get right, and stay right with Jesus. It is the, the call to what Jesus says. Remember, we dealt with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Remember Jesus saying that the Beatitudes. What He's saying is, blessed are those who know their desperate need of Him. That we know that in and of ourselves we're morally, spiritually bankrupt. That I wake up every day saying, Jesus, I desperately have to have You. We constantly remind ourselves that we get that relationship work out with Jesus, that everything flows from there. Then we stay in right relationship with our spouse. We, again, Jesus first, pray together, intentional time together, talking together, being accountable to each other. Unity with your spouse is a great way to battle impurity. It really is. And then, secondly, we do have to deal with the outward stuff. We have to deal with that. With How do we do that? Matthew 5, Jesus gives us his, his uh, Jesus in his wisdom. He says this, if your right eye, right hand, right eye offends you, you cut it off or you gouge it out. Is Jesus talking about self-mutilation here? No, he's not. He's talking about dealing with your sinfulness in a violent way. Don't entertain it. Don't get near it. Cut it off. That's what he says. If your right hand, your strong hand, unless your left hand is your strong hand, your strong hand, your, he said, it, it's the idea. He said the idea is like your, your, if your right hand would offend you, if your right hand was doing its own thing, the sense of cutting it off, or your right eye, he said, better to be maimed, better to be uh, blind in one eye than to make decisions that will have eternal implications. Again, he's not talking about. Let me talk. He's not talking about physically self-mutilation. He's talking. Of, he's giving somewhat of an analogy here, um, a, a picture where almost like a, a parable, if you will. That then that's how you deal with sin. You cut it off. You cut the the, the, the life supply. You get away from it. You get away, far from it. Timothy says this. He says. Flee or run from those things that stimulate lust. Get as far away from it as possible. Deal harshly with it. 
And this might mean some very practical things. You know, if you're struggling with stuff on the computer, and I'm going to just get real practical with you guys, get a good password that only your wife knows. There's an accountability. You can't get on the computer unless she's there if you're struggling. If you're sitting up late at night and you're on the computer and you're going places you shouldn't be, that's a good way to say, i, I got to cut this off. Or maybe get rid of the computer altogether for a while. Cut off cable if you have to, if the temptation is there. Please run from it. I encourage you, and again, in, in light of what Paul said in, in, in the Thessalonians passage, he said we're, we're called to be different and set apart, not better than, because I know what I'm capable of. And that means movies or shows that have sexually explicit material don't watch them. That's not worth it. Entertainment is not worth your heart. And people get wrapped up into certain shows or movies that they just seem that they can't live without. I'm like, it is not worth it. I'd rather not see it. I'd rather not. I'd rather cut it off because I understand what it does. It stimulates something in me if I subject myself to it. So what if what causes those things? Cut them off. Be violent with them. Be accountable to someone. Talk to someone who's godly that you trust. Guard your heart and your thoughts. Also from that grass is greener syndrome, right? We can get into these fantasies or romantic fantasies that somehow it's better with someone else or over there. And I wish my husband was more like that. I wish my wife was more like that. And we can begin to do that. And God is going to guard your heart and cut that off. I heard one person say that grass might be greener. That just means there's more manure over there. Be very careful. And when you walk in purity, you do it God's way. You can maintain a desire for one another, even when you are old. I love seeing older couples that still walk hand in hand. They still have just that. It's a twinkle in an eye. that something that they just, they just see to them and love each other. It can happen. That's why that, we're told that, that, that outward beauty fades. Outward beauty fades, but, but, but in culture, it continues to just ram it down and mainly aimed at women because women are so objectified in our culture that you're not pretty unless you're this, unless you're not beautiful unless you're this, this, and that. And they try to put them in a, a form and a mold and say, this is, what, this is what is desirable. And women need to say, uh, no way, no how. This is not going to happen. And women are so driven by it, and men are so driven by it. Outward beauty fades. Outward beauty fades, but that's what we're told that, 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 that the beauty of, the, of our inner heart does not fade. I know you can see couples that are still pursuing each other in their 80s, 70s. That's what God wants us to have this, this joy in marriage that we saw a desire for one another. That when the youth and the outward beauty have faded, there is still an inward beauty that we're drawn to each other, built on Jesus. Built on Jesus. Stay pure. Last one. Let's look at this one. Don't give up. Do not give up. In relationships, we give up way too easy, right? 
It's just so disgusting to me. Sometimes you come across an ad in the paper, divorce, 199 bucks, and I'm like, are they really just like advertising that it's really cheap? You can really do it that easy? Am I the only one that that bothers? It's so easy. We give up way too easy. When we make it about us, we make it about our happiness and our joy instead of laying down our lives. When things get hard, we usually quit. This happens in marriage and class, it happens in the church, it happens in relationships, it happens with siblings, it can be family fighting and, and church fighting, and the enemy is likely to drive a wedge in relationships. Because when Jesus was talking about unity, the power of unity, when we link our hearts together and, and we may not agree or you may offend me, I'm going to offend you, but you go, well, you know what, I'm going to move on, I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to love you anyway. There is something that God, that makes God's heart come alive, that He delights in all the passages of unity, especially in marriage, the power of unity. Because God wants to make us intimate allies in our marriages, where we fight for each other and together instead of against each other. Long-term faithfulness and commitment through the storms of life, that is not the cultural narrative. Culture says that, you know, if you're not being happy, if you're not being, if, if your spouse is making you happy, then you get out. You're, you're in a contract. But long-term faithfulness, commitment through the storms of life is a godly narrative. In Colossians 3, you know, and, and Paul speaking to the church, but I believe it's a great marriage passage. Since God shows you to be a holy people that He loves, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. How tender-hearted mercy towards your spouse? Again, this is how we reveal Christ to the world in our marriage. That when the world sees, if your coworker sees that maybe your marriage that you're having, that you're going through one of those times and your seasons, you know, there are those times and seasons. It's very difficult. And maybe your coworker sees you and, 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 and they know that what you're going through and they see that you're maintaining to their heart compassion and, and love towards your life and, and kindness. They see Christ in action. Humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, making allowance for each other's faults instead of bringing stuff up. Forgive anyone who offends you. I love that. Forgive anyone who offends you. Paul doesn't say, now, forgive anyone if they offend you, right? He doesn't say if. You're going to get offended. There's the word of the Lord for you today. I'm going to get offended. What do I do with that? What, how do I process that? And Paul says, forgive. Forgive. Remember the Lord forgave you. Remember Jesus on the cross. Remember that your sins are what nails him there. Forgive other people. And then he says, above all, clothe yourselves with what? Love. He's not saying emotional love. He didn't mention phileo love. Phileo love is the, the, the Greek word for nurturing love. He didn't say eros love. That's sexual love. He didn't say that let love bind your heart. Let those things of emotions bind. No, he says let agape love, self-sacrificial. I'm laying my life down. I'm coming to the end of myself on a love. Bind your heart together in unity. And then guess what? Here's a promise. And let the peace of Jesus Christ rule in your heart. There is a condition to have God's peace. If you're walking around your anxious all the time, you might need to think about how we're loving and forgiving others. And God's peace is nothing more valuable than God's peace. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. And as a marriage, you are one body. You are no longer two, but one is what we're told. And always be thankful. 
to marriage is that you will send each other. You, you gotta forgive and move on together. Call yourself with that love. And again, this is, and I think it's before, that's the, that's the uh, predominant usage in the New Testament word of the love. The other book in the Hebrew, I want to look at this, this love here of Ahava. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you have not. It's an Old Testament Hebrew usage of love. It is actually the somewhat the Hebrew version of agape in the New Testament, but this is a Hebrew word called ahava. The connotation and meaning of the word literally is I give. Isn't that cool? Not what you can give, what can you give me? Not what's in it for me. The word is I give. That's when Song of Solomon says love is as strong as death. And we like to romanticize that a bit. Oh, your love is as strong as death. We're talking about Ahava. If, if love is strong as death, it's I give. It's not about me. It's about me giving. Not what you're going to give me. But again, it's the, it's the Old Testament version of self-sacrificial love. But it's power and it's meaning don't stop there. It is saying this. It's saying no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what comes our way, sickness, remember the vows, better for words, sickness and health, hardship, disagreement, hurt, pain, whatever, I'm not going anywhere. That's what Ahava means. I'm not going anywhere. Athena and I sometimes say, to each other, I love you and you're stuck with me. And we're pretty happy about that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. It's not going to be easy, but I'm not going anywhere. It's, it's not, again, I, I want to I pause here. It's not to say that someone should endure up in this. That's a, that'll be a different message for a different day. It's not what this means. God would never endorse a spouse in a situation where they were being abused. So that's different. This is talking about the normal storms of life, storms of marriage that we say are not going anywhere. This is a strong commitment of love. I love um, Matt Chandler says this, and he's the one that writes about Ahava, but he says, This love says, I've seen the ugly parts of you, and I'm staying. You're stuck with me. Our culture, he says, our culture doesn't love love. It loves the idea of love. It wants the emotion without the sacrifice. Isn't that a great quote? How do we love like this? How do we have a marriage like this? It's understanding that this is how God loves us. You have to get in your heart that this is how God loves us. Agape love in the New Testament, Ahava love in the Hebrew. This is God's demonstration of love to His people. That He self-sacrificially loved us to the point where He went to the cross. Again, the cross is the, the ultimate act of love. This is the truth of love. It's the love that He says, I'm not going anywhere. I love you and I will continue to pursue you. You might run away from me, but I will be continue to pursue your heart. There's nowhere you can run that's outside of God's reach. People try, and they keep running, and they keep running. There might be some time when He leaves them on their own. That isn't actually still an act of love where He says, okay, I'm going to let you do it by yourself. I'm going to let you be God of your own life. I'm going to see how that works out for you. It's like the prodigal son. 
go and do whatever you're going to do. You're, you're running from me, but in acts of love, and then he came back. Paul tells us, he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were at our worst, he gave his best, that is, a godly, that is, I have on love. I'm going to finish with this quote from Timothy Keller. It's a pastor and author. He says, we must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think I am giving myself to you, you because you're so attracted to me. No, he was in agony and he looked down at us. We were denying him, abandoning him, betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He stayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to the people that were killing him. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. That is why I'm going to love my spouse. Speak your heart like that and then fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. Isn't that beautiful? It's about Christ. It's about His love in us and through us. It's manifested in our marriages, but it's not just about these two people. It is about Christ Himself and what He did. We understand with me. Yeah. Improving. Yes. Again, if you are at some point in your life wanting to be married, I, I encourage you to take this to heart. Allow God to be even begin to do those things in your heart to prepare you for marriage. Let me pray. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, that you have given us human relationships as a gift. Lord, um, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, friendships, even extended family, aunts, uncles, those kinds of things, Lord God, that you have given us on the earth as a gift. It reveals that you are a relational God. But Lord, thank you that all of these relationships, they are not just to become idols or just turn in on themselves, but they are representing a greater reality, and that is what your heart is and who you are. That you're a father, that Jesus, when your name is the great bridegroom, and that relationships to point people to Christ. And Lord, I pray God for our marriages, the marriages that are represented in this room. I pray God for healing. I pray, God, where marriages have been broken down or we have gotten into a rut or we have somewhat made it about each other and then, and then, and then we think about what my spouse is doing or not doing, God, forgive us. We're not saying a fresh way today that we would turn our eyes to you or that we would get that personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray for each individual person here today whether we're married, single, whatever, God, that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would see your great love for us, that we would, Lord, be in right relationship with you today overall. And Lord, be the, be the center of our marriage. Lord, I pray for those who are considering marriage at some point. Lord, that you would touch them. I pray that they would get this in their hearts already, that you would give them the capacity to love another person. Lord God, not to try to complete that person, but Lord, to have Christ in my own heart so that I can be right to that other person. 
Lord, for those, again, who have endured painful marriages, maybe divorce. Lord, that you, would, that you are a God who heals, restores. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one that completes us. And Lord, today I pray, God, that your mercy would be over marriages that have maybe been broken down. Regrets that we have, that you are a God who says, here's my new mercy for you today. And so, Lord, touch us, be with us. We love you, we honor you. We thank you for who you are. Be with us this day, this week. And Lord, again, I pray a blessing on all the dads here. Thank you for them. Thank you for that, Lord, for who they are, who you created them to be. And Lord, the unique way that we are created in the image of God to reveal your beauty as a dad. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.